Hi, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and today I'm really excited to get to be here with Lori Ann Wood, who's the author of Divine Detour, The Path You Didn't Choose Can Lead to the Faith You've Always Wanted. Some of you might be familiar with Lori from our Praying Christian Women online conference back in January. She was one of our speakers, but I'm excited to get to actually have a conversation. She did a wonderful job teaching and sharing her story, but this will be a really um just great time to talk with her about her experiences and about her book, Divine Detour. So Lori, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Jamie. It's great to be here. Well, before we get into talking about your story and your book, um, we like to ask all of our guests, what is your favorite prayer closet in air quotes? What, Where do you like to go to feel close to God? It could be off the wall. It could be totally normal, <laughs> whatever, whatever yeah. works for you. Well, my closet is probably the opposite of a closet. <laughs> I need to get outside. And so I think I'm probably like a lot of people. I like to walk and think. And if I was in a real closet, I would be thinking, oh, there's a dress I hadn't worn in a while, or I, I need to get rid of those shoes I haven't worn. So I have to get away from all the distractions and get outside. But even more so, if I go to like a, a new place, like I've tried to go to like new trails or, oh, this is a cool place I haven't been to. I find myself just looking at the new things. So just walking around my neighborhood, it's familiar enough that I'm not distracted, but yet I can look at, you know, I can pray for people when I pass their houses because I, if I know a little bit of something about those people, or sometimes I'll be on a phone call and I'll remember that, oh, I took that phone call when I was walking right here and then I'll pray about that. So that's what helps me to focus more in prayer. That is really good. I, you know, I've never focused on that point of when you're in your home, like a lot of us, I think picture praying being in your home somewhere, you know, I think, I think sometimes you sort of picture that, okay, if I'm going to pray, it'll be, you know, kneeling down by your bed at night or sitting in yeah. your kitchen chair or something, or sitting on your, you know, sofa with your Bible and your journal, but it's so true. The struggle is so real that being in your home can be one of the most distracting places. And particularly if it's not immaculate at the moment and all the laundry's done and the <laughs> dishes are put away, which for me is never. And so like, I'm always feeling this pressure and this kind of overwhelming need to do things when I'm at home. And so that's, that's a really good point. We have a lot of people talk about outdoors connecting with God, but I just love that distraction factor that you brought up. Cause I think that's really a great tip for women that feel kind of stuck in a rut with their prayer lives. And, and it could be that you're just facing distractions. So that, and, and I also love those triggers. I find that happening too. When I listen to a song or when I walk a certain place, like I'll just get these triggers of things that happened at that place. And those are wonderful prayer springboards to just mm -hmm. go with. I think that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. What a great way to pray. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Works for me. That's good. <laughs> Well, for those that were not able to participate in our conference, which was incredible, your your session was so powerful and so just, um, I don't know, helpful for anyone, whether they are going through a, a health scare or have had any kind of detour or are just going through life, which is full of curveballs, let's face it. Mm. Um, but um, can you just share your own story of what led you to write this book, Divine Detour? Mm. Yes, about it's been a little over seven years ago. I was just kind of feeling sluggish. I I thought maybe I had the flu. It was flu season and I just wasn't getting any better. My I had kids at home and I was doing all the things and so I was still functioning, but I just, I knew I wasn't myself. And I put off going to the doctor for a few days because it was Thanksgiving week. And then on Friday after Thanksgiving, I went to see my primary care doctor and he immediately took a chest x-ray. And as he's leading me down to the chest x-ray lab or to the x-ray lab, he, he said, if we're lucky, it's pneumonia. And 
I just, that was my first indication that something probably was really off here. And what he found from that x-ray is that my heart was extremely enlarged. My Cleveland Clinic doctor later told me that it was the largest heart she'd ever seen. And I had no idea. He, My family doctor admitted me directly to intensive care and I was there for about two weeks and just had, you know, defibrillator pads stuck to my chest and a crash cart outside my door because my heart was functioning at just 6% at that point. Oh and I, I didn't know, I knew I, I wasn't feeling well and I didn't have any energy and it was a, it was a weird, strange, shocking time for me. I, started learning about this new diagnosis I had, which was heart failure. And at the time I learned later that the doctors didn't expect me to leave the hospital because it was at the end stage. I, my, I had kidney failure also, which I had no idea. And things were just spiraling out of control, but obviously I did leave the hospital. I um, eventually left with a life vest, which is an external defibrillator that you wear. And I wore that for nine months and started to take some really high powered medication, which I still take. And then about nine months into it, I got an internal uh, defibrillator pacemaker and thought maybe that would help. But that whole time, I didn't really ever improve measurably. Nothing happened with, I was, I was alive, which was more than they were hoping for, but I never really got any better. Mm -hmm. And I started to enter into this sort of dark period in my faith because so many people were praying and so much was going on. I'd been anointed at church and I, people were praying around the clock and nothing was happening. And then about, well, exactly 16 months, actually, from the day that I was diagnosed, 16 months to the day, I came down with appendicitis and went to the doctor and they're like, oh, nobody's going to do surgery on that weak heart. And so they pondered what to do because my appendix really needed to come out. But they decided to do a, an, another echocardiogram, which is how they take check the function of your heart. And what they found was it was functioning at almost normal oh. after this 16 month period. And I was, I was as shocked at 16 months as I was when I was initially diagnosed because I didn't know I was at normal. And I thought that was the end of my story. At that point, did you have I your appendix out? I did. Okay. Um... <laughs> I had my appendix out and everybody okay. was, nobody cared about the appendectomy at all. Right. <laughs> it was a non-event, but everybody was really excited about the excited heart. Excited about the heart diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought I hadn't started writing anything at that point. And, but then at that moment, I thought that's, that's my story. It's a story of divine healing and the power of prayer. And I got it. And I was, I started to write about a year after that. I started really writing um, blog posts and articles and guest posting and things like that. And I was on this journey to tell this story of healing. And then about three years ago, my heart function dropped and I was in active heart failure again. And so I have been on this journey with my health up and down and up and down. And my faith has had this, had its own little journey along that way as well. And so, the, you know, the book that I wrote is sort of born of this diagnosis and my illness, but it's really not primarily about that. It's primarily about what happened in my faith during that time and how other people can manage what I'm calling detours in life. I love how you put it that way because um, I've thought of them before as curveballs, but really a curveball kind of comes back around and detours <laughs> change the course of your life forever. And that's what happens when, when these kinds of things happen. Um, mm -hmm. But like you said, it's, you know, like the, the concepts of how your faith 
adapts and changes and develops through these things is relatable to such a broad spectrum of people, whether it's a health diagnosis, whether it's a family member, whether it's a career change or a broken relationship, like all of these things, the ebbs and flows of life and these divine detours are things that like, I just, I love that your message is so relatable. Um, So can you talk about, I guess, first, maybe Talk about the three questions of every woman's life that you address in this book and and how they are important, why they're so important to answer. Yes, the the questions that I came up with, they kind of fell into, they wanted to be these three questions. I started writing just what was on my heart and the questions I had and the complaints I had. And I started to look at them as a book and wanted them to be chronological. I wanted them to line up there (laughs) and behave. And they did not want to do that. They wanted to go into these three buckets that I didn't see at first, but you know, like you were talking about, there's so many people on a detour, whether it's relationship or financial or health or whatever. And you know, I had people start reaching out to me and say, I don't have heart failure and I don't, really even have a health detour, but I relate to what you're saying because I feel like I'm on, I got shoved off on this path. It's not a very pretty path. It's probably pretty bumpy. It's not the shortest way to where you're going. And it kind of wrecks your schedule (laughs) if you've ever been on a highway detour. So Mm -hmm. I started to see that these all the thoughts and everything that God was placing on my heart was going into these three buckets. And I sat with that for a while. And then I realized about a month after I I realized it wasn't going to be chronological that I was studying when Jesus went into the desert right before he began his public ministry. We usually refer to those as the temptations when Satan tempted Jesus, but Any temptation is really just an internal question that we're asking ourselves. We're saying, should we do this? You know, is it worth it? And so it was kind of a light bulb moment because as I was studying that, I realized that those three questions, the internal questions that Jesus was struggling with were the same three buckets that everything that I was processing was going into. And those three questions there's a couple of accounts in scripture about uh, Jesus's encounter in the desert. But in Matthew, the first temptation is where Satan says, tell these stones to become bread. And a very hungry Jesus had to be thinking, Ooh, that sounds pretty good. If this life is all there is, then I should probably be most concerned that I'm really hungry right now. And we do that when we're on a detour and we are in any kind of physical distress, whether it's pain or fatigue or even mental distress, hunger, we start to wonder, should I be most concerned with my physical well-being, with what's happening to me right now in this world today? And So that's what I call the first question I call a question of worry, which is, is this life all there is? You know, because if if this life is all there is, then just eat that bread, worry about yourself. Don't make plans for with an eternal focus because it's meaningless. And so that was a question that I think all of these questions are this way. They they sort of nag at us in the back of our mind, even when life is going well. But when you get shoved off on a detour, these questions demand to be looked at. They demand some attention. And so that's how they sprang up for me. And that first one, uh, you know, the question of worry, is this life all there is? I I, I really struggled with things like loss and uncertainty and fear and regret and tried to look at it through that lens. So that was the first one. The second one uh, correlates to the second temptation of Christ. And that was when Satan basically said, throw yourself down or jump off this cliff and 
I'll bet you won't even strike your heel against a stone. I'll bet you won't even get a scratch or a scrape. And what we think when we're faced in this situation is, and and maybe the very human part of Jesus thought this too, is that God, God won't let me get hurt because I'm his favorite. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. He won't let me suffer. Surely he wouldn't let me suffer. And so what we come up against then is a question of doubt because we know we are suffering. We're doubting, is God always good? And, and that's a really, <laughs> I think if you Googled faith questions, every time you would see that near the top of the list, is God always good? Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we struggle with that throughout life, but especially when you're on a detour, because what you're living through doesn't feel good. And, you know, this God that you had maybe had a personal relationship and you thought you understood and you almost feel abandoned at that point. So that was the second question that had to be addressed. And then the third one correlates to that third temptation where Satan basically said, look at all these kingdoms. They can all be yours if you'll just bow down to me. And what what we think in that situation is wow that sounds like a pretty good plan i i don't know maybe i is god's plan enough or could this be supplemental to god's plan or could i maybe change god's mind and so we start to question what i call a question of control and that is is god's plan enough hmm. am i wasting my life if all i do is follow God's plan. And when you're faced with something on a detour and whether it's a life-limiting illness or a relationship that has basically torn up the, the second half of your life, you're wondering, wow, I was on this plan. I was all in. And now I'm wondering if I made the right decision. Is God's plan the best plan for my life? So those were the three questions that fell out of all of the <laughs> journaling I was doing and all the writing I was doing. And I I had other people really lean into those. And so I knew they were, I was onto something. And um, that time of studying when Jesus was in the desert really solidified that for me. What would you say of those three questions, which one would you think was the hardest for you to process or the one that maybe stands out as the most painful or. Mm. Yeah. I, every time I was working on one, I would think, Oh, that's, that's the hardest one. Right. <laughs> no, as this you're is the in hardest it. one. <laughs> yeah. And it, it kind of, and the book is set up in a way that it's not like you read one and then you're finished and you go to the other, like, like first you figure out the question of worry and then you go to the question of doubt. It's sort of like you visit those all the time throughout whatever you're experiencing. And I, I ask the questions over and over again, but if I was to say which one was really bared my soul the most, I'd say it was the question of control because I think I, just because I've been a Christian for so long, when I was looking at, you know, the question of worry, I think deep down, I knew that this life isn't all there is. I knew that. I wasn't sure how I was going to contend with it, but I knew that. And and then the second question, is God always good? I just had a, I just had this innate knowing that somehow he's always good. I just couldn't reconcile it with what was going on. But that third one about is God is God's plan enough? That question of control. I ugh. I I'm a planner, a list keeper, a rule keeper. I still have a paper calendar because I have to check stuff off. Mm-hmm. And I it's really hard for me to let go of that control and really buy into the trust completely. And so that one, I just, I still struggle with that one a lot. I heard someone ask at one point, if you could have, like, if you had a prayer request or a wish 
that you take to God. And if he came back and said, yeah, I'll give it to you, but I'm not going to go with you in that. My presence won't go with you. Similar to when um, Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and, you know, God was like, well, you, you know, I'm not going to uh, like, I, I'll, I'll let you guys go ahead into the promised land, but I won't go with you. Um, and so that's the same kind of thing I think that you're talking about is if, if we could call the shots and, and God would open that door, mm-hmm. would we take that wish of a different life or of a, of a changed circumstance, even if God wasn't going to follow us into that and be part of that journey. And that's a hard question. Cause I think there are some times in my life that I probably would be tempted to take the wrong mm-hmm. answer, you know, I mean, um, yeah. and just in that moment, I think in our, in our brain, we kind of know that God is, you know, his way is best. But it, it's a huge question. It's a huge temptation. Is what he has me in enough? And I know for you and your health journey, you can't necessarily take yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that it, that's not necessarily your choice to do. Um, but I think there are other circumstances where we might feel God calling us to something hard or calling us out of something that we feel is good. And we're pretty sure that he's not wanting us to do those things. Or maybe we have an opportunity to do something that goes against what God's best is or what God's rules and laws say. And we could find, you know, a loophole into a benefit or something like that. And, you know, and we do have a choice and, and mm-hmm. those are tough questions. And, you know, mm-hmm. even if you know the answer in your head, well, can you talk about what you, what you came to understand through that kind of questioning? And you said you're still working through that. So. Yeah, for sure. I will be working through that. I, it's, I come to faith in maybe a different way. I think people come to faith in different ways. My husband is someone who just, he knows that he knows that he knows and he doesn't question like I do. My dad and I are more the questioners. And at first I, that worried me because I thought, Ooh, I'm, I'm not a good Christian because I'm asking all these questions and I need to, and, and what I found out was I didn't really need to know the answers as much as I wanted permission to ask the questions because as, as human beings, we, you know, when you talk about, especially closed doors, I don't think we're ready to understand closed doors sometimes. And sometimes that's for our own protection or for redirection, but we don't always get the full picture. And so one of the things that I learned while I was on this detour, and I didn't learn it right away because I, there was a time where I was just giving God the silent treatment. But eventually I learned that sometimes these detours are because God has something more for us than this predictable life that maybe we were hoping for. And we don't see that. We don't see the full picture and it can look really messy or even it can look like God's left the scene sometimes because we don't know that our little piece of the story isn't the whole story. We have one little chapter and we want the story arc to finish in our lifetime so we can see it. But a lot of times we don't get to see that finished story arc. You know, I think about people in scripture like Stephen or John the Baptist or a lot of the apostles. When they got to the end of their life, it probably didn't make very much sense what was going on in their little part of the story. But we can look back now and say, yeah, I get it. That made sense. And yet we expect for our little part of the story to make sense. We expect for us to be able to see why am I suffering before I'm gone? Or why did this happen? And God never told us that we would have this resolved life. That's just our own idea that we came up with. And one of the things that 
I think that helped me is that when I came to the threshold, one of those closed doors that I really wanted to walk through, I really wanted something to be different. And that door closed and I couldn't understand why. That's when my faith was really tested. And that's when I knew that this is something about so much, something so much bigger than my physical health. And, and it's kind of a hard place to get to because as human beings, we're wired to worry about our physical health, but, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, or it shouldn't be something that you work on every day, but it can't be your, your main focus or your main priority. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. Yeah, it reminds me of the scripture that I can't remember the reference to right now, but something to the I'm, I'm pretty much butchering all the scriptures I'm referencing in a vague way, but uh, though outwardly we're wasting away inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And it's mm. like, you can have outward struggle. You can have physical, even deterioration and have that paradox of spiritual growth and strengthening to the very last day, the very last breath. Mm. And, um, and that is a powerful realization that goes back to, is this life all there is? Um, yes. But it's hard. It's really hard because like you said, we are wired to self-preserve so that we don't jump off a cliff. And, you know, I mean, that's that's wired in our human in humanity. And God gave us that self-preservation. And God wants us to be stewards, obviously, of our bodies in whatever way we can. But when those unexpected things happen, um, it's so important to focus on what you're talking about. And that seems to fly in the face of this kind of prosperity gospel. Can you talk about that for a minute? Just this kind of trend of, I know that that it has gotten kind of popular of, you know, if you have a physical infirmity, it's always going to go away if you have enough faith or, uh, you know, in this world, God has chosen you. You're just like with Jesus, you know, you're his chosen one, you're his people. So you're going to have prosperity and good things are going to happen so that everybody can see that. Um, what do you what do you have to say to the person that's kind of like confused by that contrast to what they're experiencing right now? Mm -hmm. That's hard. I think if we look at scripture as a whole, we can see that God's always been more concerned with our state of our heart or the state of the relationship we have with him more than our physical well-being. And we can point to things in scripture where he was concerned with people's healing and he did um, perform miracles and raise people from the dead, but those were always temporary. You know, I think about Lazarus and Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus raised him from the dead, but he eventually died. And if you, if you could imagine being Lazarus that second time when you're getting ready to die and you know, you're about to die begging God because you know, he can do it. He has already yes. done it once mm. and how much it must have hurt God to say, not this time. It's not part of the plan. Mm. We have to really put in perspective the fact that our bodies really weren't designed to last forever. And we can, you know, God uses our bodies in ways to reach our hearts. And sometimes that's through a healing and sometimes it's not, but we don't get to choose that. And, and the thing is, our bodies are going to deteriorate whether we're believers or not there, you know, we can go through that with God or we can go through that without God, but it's always been so much more about getting the uh, attention of our heart and establishing that relationship for us. And he's shown us that he will go to any length, you know, at any cost to him, at any cost to us to secure that relationship that he wants with us. And so 
we had, I'm reminded something popped into my head that my husband said early on and I was in, I was still in ICU at the time and I didn't receive it well, <laughs> but like I said, he's always been a, a little bit ahead of me on this. <laughs> so <laughs> he came back, he, he's a runner and I was in ICU and really dire. I think I was even still on oxygen at that point. And he finally left the hospital to run and he came back and he felt so much better because he hadn't had to had an opportunity to run for like a week and a half. And he came back and he said, well, I've, you know, I had some time to pray and talk to God. And I've come to the realization that even if you don't get well, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> and, and I just, I didn't receive that well, <laughs> but he was so right. And we've talked about it since then, because he said, what I was trying to say is, you're trading something you can't keep for something you can never lose. Ah. And I thought that's so true. I mean, we, none of us can hold on to this body and mm. this health or even, you know, sometimes relationships, which involve other people's decisions. We can't hold on to that, but we can hold on to this relationship that's going to follow us into eternity. And so that's where I've had to really try to, focused, refocus my attention front. Because when I first got the diagnosis, I'm not going to say that I was all in on, oh, you know, whatever happens, happens. Mm -hmm. I was at home Googling and trying to figure out what do I need to do? How much time do I have? What's, what are the treatments? And I spent eight hours a day looking for what this was, how I could recover from it, what the prognosis was. And I was just wearing myself out <laughs> from it, but that was my focus for a long time. And part of that is because as I was trying to get back to uh, this relationship with God, I knew other people were praying for me and it just felt like there was silence. It was like God was ignoring the whole issue. And so I thought, well, I'll just dive into this physical part of it. Then I'm just going to Google everything I can about heart failure and heart disease and how I can, uh, how that can be treated. And, and of course that didn't do any good. So. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit more for, for the person listening? Who's just like, yes, God is silent. I've been asking for this thing and I just don't even feel like he's hearing me. Things are even getting worse. Things are not getting better. Um, what advice do you have looking back? What would you tell your, your past self now being kind of on this side of that experience um, when you feel like God is just completely not there. What, what advice would you give to that person going through that? One of the things that I learned is that it's, it's okay to borrow words because I found myself in a place where things weren't matching up. I was in a pace, place of physical and emotional pain. And I just didn't have the words to talk to God. I didn't, I couldn't do it. And so I borrowed words from other people's prayers. They were praying for me. And in the short term, if that's your tether to God to keep from losing your faith, then grab a hold of that. And I did that for a while. I eventually borrowed words from the Psalms because there's so much in Psalms. Half of Psalms are lamentations, which was what I was feeling at the time. And so I borrowed those words because I couldn't come up with any on my own. It just wasn't happening. And, and then another kind of strange one is that even before I could dip into Psalms or read other authors that who had been through suffering experiences, I, before I could read anything, music, Christian music lyrics could seep into my heart in when nothing else could. And so in that short-term period, it's kind of a period where you're in shock almost, just find a way to keep hold of your faith. And it's not that you're going to, that's where you're going to be forever. It's just that you don't want to let go of that tether while you're hurting. 
And I think it's important to find a way, whatever that way is for you, to hold on and make it through that period of time. Uh, the uh, the second thing I would say is that those pauses, those times when, and I know the feeling, I, you know, you can imagine that God might just be ignoring you or hearing you and turning his face away, or you feel like you're tugging on God's pant leg and he's just keeps talking to somebody else. Hmm. And it's a painful place to be. But what I discovered in those pauses when I wasn't getting a response and no one was getting a response is that the the power of prayer for us is not really in an immediate resolution. If if he had healed me before I left the hospital, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. And my faith would not have had the chance to grow. I wouldn't have the chance to wrestle with those questions that I, that I did. And by wrestling with those, my faith got stronger. And so the power of prayer is not in immediately getting an answer, but it's in this enduring relationship that you form as you keep coming back to God. And that's why that tether is so important, because you want to hang on to him during that silent time. And and within that time, you're able to not only establish a relationship and refine your faith and ask questions and really get in there and wrestle. It also gives that pause gives you perspective that you wouldn't have gotten if you had gotten an immediate answer you would not have this perspective that you have to look at your situation, your disappointment, your detour in a way that would strengthen your faith. And, and then just one other thing I learned is that, which is a hard thing to come to because a lot of people will have a prayer request and, and I get that. I am somebody who's a persistent prayer and I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray. And I think if I could just pray enough and hard enough and long enough, it would happen. But the reality is we live in this world. That's a temporary world. And some things on this side of eternity don't fix. And that's the way God set the world up. And that's the way uh, he sets our heart up to long for something on the other side. And so that's part of his plan as well. Even though that human part of us, like you were talking about, we want to survive. We want to thrive. We want to feel good. We want to mend all the broken places and that might not be part of the plan. So that's a hard place to get to, but it's also something when you're in there and you're not getting an answer, you can know that maybe you really are getting an answer. It's just a different one than what you thought. That is really good. And, um, you know, just that whole process of time and just the, you know, the, the time and the time between asking and, finding the answer, whether it's an indefinite wait or whether it's a waiting period with a yes or a no, um, that time is, it is precious. And yeah, yeah, it is. I really love what you said in your book too, about doubt, how you say doubt is not the opposite of faith. Indifference is. And I thought that was really profound. Can you just talk about that for a second? That is something that I was not always good with. And if I think if I could raise my kids again, I would be better at it now, having gone through all of this. But I didn't entertain questions, especially when it came to faith, because, you know, there was a period of time and it's still going on about deconstruction and it feels scary. And, you know, with all the post-Christian things that you hear about. And so it's scary. And our our tendency is to just clench on and hold and don't question anything and don't, don't go there into the gray areas. But what I found was when I gave myself, when the wheels were all falling off and I said, it's, you know, it's now or never it's do or die. I'm going to ask these questions of God. I would get in there and wrestle and poke and prod. And by doing that, 
every day he was top of mind because I wasn't going to let those questions go. I was going to keep asking what I could have done. And what I did do at first is I had this faith and it wasn't matching up with my experience. And so I thought, Ooh, that's a fragile little faith. I'm going to put it over here in a safe place and I'll come back to it when things are good. Don't want to mess it up. Don't want to do anything to, (laughs) to put a crack in that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's exactly. And I was kind of protecting it. I was kind of protecting God because I thought, what if all these people are praying for me and nothing happens? I don't, you know, I don't know how that'll look. I don't. And, and instead when nothing happened for, you know, 16 months, I'm like, ah, I got to get that down and ask some questions because I can't hold on forever. And once I did that, once I started really being honest about it and and digging into it, I realized that, you know, questions are not what destroys faith because questions make you get in there and define it and refine it and keep choosing God. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to choose him again and again and again and again. But if, if you walk away from faith and just put it on a shelf, it's gone, it's over. So that's what one of the things I learned was just to get in there. And I love, uh, Frederick Beekner says that, uh, doubt is the ants in the pants of faith, which is such a good word picture when you think about it, because it just keeps you aware of it, right? Like, oh yeah, I have this, I have this thing I need to figure out. And when you're looking at it from that way, that there's questions that need to be answered and it's okay to do things like lament and, and even complain to God. Yeah. He's not afraid of that. The scripture's full of, you know, especially in Psalms, when you think about David saying, why, where are you? How long? Mm -hmm. And God didn't say you should never have said that David. So I, I don't know where I got that idea. I think uh, maybe maybe it's a part of our upbringing or part of our culture, but there's really more value in the questions sometimes than there is in the answers. Absolutely. I, I've always thought about how Thomas, who basically wasn't there to see Jesus at first, was reluctant and said, you know, Jesus, is that really you show me the, the nail marks on your hands and the, you know, the, the wound on your side. And, but we, you know, we call him doubting Thomas and it's kind of like a poo poo phrase, like, oh yeah, doubting Thomas. He was the one that that wasn't (laughs) as believing as the ones who saw Jesus before, but Jesus welcomed that he loved it. And in fact, I was reading an article at one point that talked about how, Thomas's, uh, Thomas had one of the most, uh, I don't know, one of the most like absolute acknowledgements of who Jesus was. He said, my Lord and my God and Mm -hmm. acknowledged Jesus as who he was in the fullest sense Mm -hmm. because, and, and I really believe it's because of that process of questioning and meeting with Jesus and I think we're afraid sometimes of questioning because it's like, I'm not a good little Christian. If I ask this really hard question of like, is God even real after I've been a Christian for 20 years? um, Mm -hmm. Could I be wrong about Christianity? Could I be wrong about the Bible? Or you learn something about the Bible or you learn something about scripture and you're like that. I don't understand that. And so rather than running away from that misunderstanding, running into it and just asking God about it or talking to someone who understands scripture or studying scripture for yourself. Um, for me has always, cause I'm, I can totally relate Lori to the, the idea of being a questioner. And so mm-hmm. I find a lot of comfort in, in Thomas, because I just feel like Jesus's response tells us everything we need to know about whether or not we're allowed to ask the hard questions. So, yes, mm. yes. So true. I I think too, as um, just to put an analogy on it for moms, Mm -hmm. I think what I was doing when I was raising my kids, if there was a faith question, I would do like when they had a scrape on their knee and just put a bandaid on it. 
like (laughs) maybe that'll help. And we know that band-aids don't really heal that little scrape. It just makes it to where we don't have to look at it. But what that scrape really needed was some light and some air and some room to breathe. Mm -hmm. And that's what faith questions need. They need to come out and they need to get light and air and room to breathe so they can heal. Because if we just cover them up with a Band-Aid, they're just going to sit there. And so, you know, that's, I feel like I did that as a mom, but, you know, I, as we learn things and we change uh, questions now are something that I almost welcome them because they are such an interactive, you know, if we're just, uh, if we're just reading scripture or soaking in some promises, sometimes it's just a, it's not really an exchange with God. It's just coming in. Mm -hmm. But when we have questions and we have, you know, even doubts and, and struggles, we're doing it back and forth with him. And I, I really think that that is what not only strengthens your faith, but it's really what is the main point of Christianity is to have that relationship. And so it's no surprise to God that we're on a detour, but while we're on that detour, the challenge is to make sure that we maintain a relationship with him. And sometimes that takes some unconventional ways, but it's so worth it to, to just maintain that relationship and to try to strengthen your faith in it because the detours are going to happen. Amen to that. That is just like a great way to sum up everything. We're kind of out of time. So that was just a perfect kind of in a nutshell. Um, Yeah. Lori, thank you so much for just all of the, all, all of those things that you touched on, because I think it's just so relevant to all of us. Um, before we go, I would love to let our listeners know where they can find your book and where they can connect with you on social media and wherever you like to connect. Yes, I am on Instagram and Facebook at Lorianne Wood. And so they can find me there. And my website is lorianwood.com. I have If anybody would be interested, I have a resource during that time where I was really felt like God was giving me the silent treatment. So I was giving him the silent treatment right back. Mm -hmm. I have a resource. If anyone would be interested, it's um, five prayers and promises when you can't talk to God. And um, that's just on my website at laurianwood.com slash hope. And my book, which is just new out is a book of essays that examines those three questions we talked about. And uh, that is all the information about where you can buy that is at laurianwood.com slash books. It's also on Amazon. So. (laughs) All right. I'm just getting all that in our notes so that we can have everything linked up for people in our show notes. So, well, thank you, Lori, for being here. Excuse me. Thank you. It's been great. Um, How can we pray for you today? And I'll close us out in prayer. I just want to pray that as I launch this new book out there, I just, it's so hard to know where it lands. And I just want it to land in the place where God wants it to be in the hands that need it. And sometimes it's hard to know how to do that, but I just want God to use it the way he wants to use it. Absolutely. Well, let's pray. And again, thank you so much for sharing your story and just just for giving us a picture of God's redeeming work in all of our lives. Because like you said, if you had been healed instantly, you might not be here today. And I just think, you know, we would be poorer for it. So thank you for just pressing on and pressing in and just for allowing God to do work in your faith and in your life and then being brave and sharing it with everyone. So thank you. Thank you very much. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this time together. Thank you so much for Lori and just her obedience in just hearing your call for her to write and to share her willingness to be teachable and to accept the the detour in her path, in her health journey, in her faith journey that was absolutely unexpected and not asked for. 
And, um, and we just thank you that you have met her and that you have just strengthened her faith through this journey and just allowed her to, to put her experience out there to hopefully help other women. I know that, that her story and her message will help countless women in their own wrestling with divine detours in their own lives. God, we just open this up to you. We hold this book up to you. We hold her ministry up to you and just pray father that you would open the doors wide, remove any barriers, fill in any gaps and just make there, let there just be no woman who needs this that will not be able to get it. We just pray that this book would reach more women than Lori could ever have asked or imagined. And that there would be women who meet you for the first time through this book, that there would be women who were hopeless and, and had lost faith, who have resurrected faith. And we pray that there are women who had um, just damaged faith that would have it mended and, and restored stronger than ever. We just pray that there would be hurt and loss that would be healed and restored and just for that same redeeming work that you have done in Lori's heart and life and body, um, just for you to to have that same effect in the lives of the women that read this book. And we do pray for Lori, for her health, God. We just continue to ask because we can and because that's our desire is for her to be well for her to be healthy, for her to be strong, for her heart to function well, and for you to just allow that to happen. And we thank you that um, that you have allowed her to do all of these things throughout the ups and downs of her health, um, her health journey, and and just continue to pray for you to provide for her in every way, physically, and as always, just to continue to grow her spiritually and renew her every day. And when she has hard days and continues to question things, that you would meet her in those questions. And for all of us, God, that we would not be afraid to bring our doubts and our questions and our struggles and even our anger and our frustration to you in prayer. And we just thank you that you're a God who loves us so much, who wants relationship with us. And, and we just pray, God, for each person listening, that you would meet them where they are today and just bless them and, and let them feel loved and seen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.